Hey, welcome this morning. Um, for seven weeks, we have been talking through the different gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about the fruits of the Spirit. We've been challenged to think about what it means to walk by the flesh and to walk by the Spirit, what fruitful living looks like, kind of how all of that shakes down. We've just been in this message series called Get Lit. And a couple weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, might have been three, um, Mike did a really good job helping us see and understand more about specific anointings of the Spirit and then times when the Holy Spirit fills an individual. And this morning, that's kind of the side that we're leaning towards this morning is when the Holy Spirit fills an individual. Um, It's interesting for my wife Amanda and I because we have four kids and our youngest two are in the preschool ministry here called We World. And each Sunday we get an email as church is wrapping up that is almost like conversation starters for our three and four-year-old. And they're super basic and they're super simple, but they're so helpful to talk with Titus and Alyssa about what they heard this morning and kind of help them unpack that. But for our two oldest boys that are 12 and 15, they're in here with us every Sunday. And so we get to process when we leave here, hey, what'd you hear? How how was the message? What'd you get out of it? What do you think God's saying? And most of the time, our older boys will lean towards the side of wanting more of the how-to. Like, yeah, Dad, it was good. I just, I wish, wish I knew more like how to do that. And uh, some, sometimes I'm right there with them. I think that for a lot of us, the reason uh, that, that we're coming to church on Sundays as we're pursuing Jesus is to learn how to, to be better followers of Jesus. But what I personally enjoy are the examples when, when, when Mike can tell us and show us what it looks like. You know, there's just a little bit of variation for me, and I just find myself going, man, what does that look like? What did that look like? What does that look like now? And I I love it when when he's able to use real-life examples, Scripture, and he's done a phenomenal job of this through this Get Lit series of helping us see what it looks like to have the fruits of the Spirit in our life. Our four-year-old daughter, Alyssa, is in the season of a million questions. You guys remember that with kids or those of you that have kids now? I mean, it's just, thank you, Brian. You're like, yes, I remember that. It's just question after question after question. We get in the car and it's how long until we get there? She's four. She has no concept of time. I could say six hours. She'd say, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, but she's, she asks the question anyway, but it's why daddy, where daddy, where are we going daddy? Why do I have to go to bed? Why do I sleep in this bed? Why do you sleep upstairs? Can I sleep in your bed with you? And it's just like nonstop. But in, in her defense, and in defense of every child that does this, I, I, think that, I think that she's just trying to figure it all out. I think that she's, in her mind, is probably just thinking, what does this look like? What? And, and she's just trying to comprehend and understand. Or uh, God's just giving me payback for what I did to my parents. I don't know. Could, could be either one. But in her defense, and in, in defense of the way that we ask questions about the Holy Spirit... Um, I think we as people just, we are constantly asking questions of the how-to and the, man, what does that look like? And so I find myself, even in this Get Lit message series, having so many questions about the Holy Spirit. And so this book that I'm holding in my hands this morning, The Living Word of God, is jam-packed with story after story after story of examples of how people shared the gospel. Stories of, of men and women and what their lives looked like that were living sent. Stories of how good people suffered and endured through some really hard things, but they gave praise and glory to God uh, d- despite whatever they were facing. You heard Mike say today, hey, we're wrapping this up. 
we are going to get into a story in Acts chapter 4 that just got my attention a couple of weeks ago. And as we talk about what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, um, this has just been something that I've been dwelling on for probably two weeks now. And I just can't get enough of it, to be honest with you. So Acts chapter 4 is where we are going to be. But um, this, is, this is where we're going this morning. I'll give you all the notes right now. So if you're like, hey, I got to bounce. Can you keep this thing short? You could probably just leave because here's the five points that I'm going to make. With the Holy Spirit, we boldly proclaim Jesus. We have no excuse. Our relationship is evident. We can't help it. And we want more. With the Holy Spirit, all of those things are true. And so Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be. To give you some more context, um, let me just bring you up to speed on how Acts chapter 3 leads into this. There is a man who is born crippled, and through the faith in the words of Peter and John, this man is healed. And he begins to run through the temple, jumping and praising God. This man is jumping around. I don't, I don't see anyone like too moved, and that's probably because I didn't, I didn't really set this up well, and I don't expect that. I'm not speaking this very theatrically or dramatically. But think, think with me for a second. A man is born crippled. Through the faith in the words of Peter and John, he's healed. And he goes running and jumping around. So how many of you have had a sprained ankle or just a minor injury like that before? You know, it takes, what, six to eight weeks to heal before you're really back? It, it, would, be a, it would be a miracle if someone prayed over me and I had a sprained ankle, if I could instantly walk on it again, right? You'd be like, oh my gosh, that is a crazy God story. The, the specifics and the magnitude of this, this man who is born crippled, he doesn't have the muscles that we have, the, the muscle memory, the muscle mass, the normal body. He was born this way, so he had never been able to experience running and jumping around. His body, I don't know what it looked like. If you've been around someone that's been in an accident and been paralyzed, or maybe they were born with a handicap, you know that their muscles just don't form the same way. And if it's from here down, their legs are really, really skinny. And so the reason that, that, that I'm unpacking this is because this type of thing that happened, it could not have possibly gone unnoticed. That people see this man that was healed running and jumping and praising God, and they're not going, oh, cool, like an answered prayer. They're going, oh, oh my gosh. Are you see? Maybe they're without words. They didn't even know what to say. They didn't know how to react. This man is running and causing this commotion, and people knew him as the one that used to sit and beg. They saw him every day when they frequent in this place. And so here's this man, and like, this can't possibly be the same guy. So crowds begin forming. And so Peter leverages this opportunity and he begins to speak some truth and he begins to preach. And his preaching style is pretty awesome in my opinion. I'm going to strongly encourage you later today, this week, don't move past this story. Hang out here, even though we're wrapping up this series called Get Lit. Spend some time asking God to continue showing you what it looks like to have a life filled with the Holy Spirit. And and I want you, when you look at Acts 3 and Acts 4 and you go back through this, to look at how boldly Peter spoke. Just just look at it. You'll see just the boldness of of his style. But moving out of Acts chapter 3 with the healing of this man and Peter preaching to this quickly forming crowd, Acts 4 begins like this. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. 
And so let's pause there for just a minute. These guys are upset for a couple of reasons. Number one, Peter and John are, are teaching the people. They're drawing a crowd. If you think about even Jesus in his life, when he begins rallying support and he's getting people's attention, that didn't set well with those of religious ranking. It, it was seen as a threat whenever he was disrupting the established authority, and, and it, it was threatening the status quo. Secondly, the Sadducees that are mentioned here denied the entire doctrine of resurrection. They just they denied it. They, it, it could not possibly have been real. And here we see Peter and John proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So paraphrasing through these next couple of verses, they arrest Peter and John. They throw them in jail overnight because Peter and John are telling everyone that Jesus is alive and that they could rise from the dead too if they believed in Jesus. Then in verse 4, we get some metrics. How many of you guys love numbers? Like you're like, oh, I love numbers. Yeah, some people just, you you, you appreciate it, right? We're in numbers culture. In verse 4, we see that the number of disciples increased to 5,000. In the beginning of Acts here, we are literally reading about the power of the Holy Spirit as God is moving and stirring in people's hearts following the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Back in Acts chapter 2, Peter had preached a message that led to thousands accepting Jesus. Now he's kind of on round two, and the, the number is growing fast, and he's ruffling some feathers. And so this got me thinking to myself, as I've been dwelling on this passage, man, when was the last time that I ruffled some feathers because I was teaching about Jesus and proclaiming the truth of salvation? And you might be saying, Caleb, that isn't what this is about. And you're right. The goal isn't to become fully obedient multipliers following Christ and ruffling feathers. I, I get that. But have we shied away from proclaiming from speaking, from sharing, from teaching, from, from articulating, from verbally communicating the truth of the gospel because we want to separate our, our faith from our work. I, I, God, I, um, I just, hey, I, I love you. I love you, but I, I got to be careful where I work to, to not speak. I could do it over lunch or something. Maybe if I'm off campus, I got to be careful. Have we shied away from verbally sharing the gospel, the truth of salvation, because we want to separate our faith from our kids' sporting events? Like, hey, don't do that here in the bleachers. Don't talk. Just let them watch little Billy play sports, you know? Like, people just come in here to watch their kids. Don't don't bring, like, church into this. Like, there's a time and place for that. It's not here. What, What are we doing? Have have we shied away from verbally communicating the gospel, the truth of salvation, because we want to separate our faith from our political views, our faith from our hobbies, our faith from our family leisure time? Like, hey, let's, can we just watch Netflix tonight and just, we have to talk with the kids. We went to church this morning. We did community talks group. Like, let's tone it down a little bit. With the Holy Spirit, we boldly proclaim Jesus. Ask yourself this question. When was the last time I spoke with boldness in spite of what the consequences could be or how people might view me? When was the last time I spoke with boldness in spite of what the consequences could be or how people might view me? With the Holy Spirit, we boldly proclaim Jesus. In all of those scenarios that I mentioned, with the Holy Spirit... 
we live sent, where we live, work, learn, and play. Without the Holy Spirit, our efforts are just that. They're just our efforts. So the next day, Peter and John are brought before some rulers and some teachers. And it's important to note in verse 5, it says, rulers, elders, teachers of the law, uh, the high priest was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, the other men of the high priest family. I'm pointing that out because this is an intimidating group of individuals. Peter and John were brought before these guys who were saying, by what power, what name did you do this? These are some intimidating people. I mean, they're about to be on the chopping block here. So they, they got to be careful, right? You got to be careful how you respond. Like they're, these are, these are, these are some big wigs. These guys are upset that they're teaching about the resurrection through Jesus. Now I, I want to jump back for just a minute because in Luke chapter 21, Jesus gives a prophetic met statement, a message. He says, but before all of this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Jesus said, I, I, I will give you, I will give you words and wisdom. I'm going to take care. Don't worry about how you can defend yourselves. I will give you the words and the wisdom. I'm going to tell you what to say. So now back to Acts chapter four. By what power or what name did you do this? They want an explanation. Who do you think you are, Peter and John? Verse eight, this is huge. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, and, and I have to stop here for a second because I feel like I need to get theatrical a little bit so that we like the the magnitude of the miracle, like we just read it. But this, you got to take it in context that these intimidating individuals that Peter and John are standing before, they're asking for a reason. So put yourself in their shoes. I don't know if you're shaking a little bit. If you're like, I don't, uh, I have no idea what I would say. I would, I, I, I don't know. I'd be a loss for words. So Peter responds with this. Keep in mind, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness that we showed to a cripple and we're asked how he is healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. He's looking around the room as they're staring at him like, ooh, who do you think you are? It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the Stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That's Peter's response. Acts 4.12, that famous verse, this is where it comes from. God gave Peter the words to speak. Why? Because he said he would. How? By means of the Holy Spirit. And check this out. As Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, he didn't just defend himself. He wasn't like, oh my gosh, what what am I going to say here that keeps me from being killed? He didn't just defend himself or just the previous healing of the crippled man. He didn't just give an explanation of that. But the Holy Spirit filled him to share the gospel, to share the good news, the truth of salvation. That salvation isn't found through many different paths of love and kindness. And as long as we're good and moral and help people and we're kind and we give to the church, everything's going to be okay. But no, the truth of salvation that Jesus and Jesus alone 
is the way to be saved. And it's a complete proclamation of the gospel because he didn't, he didn't stay dead, but, but he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He came back to life. J.D. Greer, an incredible author, um, a, a wonderful pastor. He's currently the president of the SBC. He points out that every time the Holy Spirit fills people in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts, they proclaim the word of God to others. Every time the Holy Spirit fills people in Luke and Acts, what we see is that they proclaim the word of God to others. So for example, when the Spirit fills John the Baptist, he proclaims the coming of the Lord. Luke chapter 1, 15 and 17. When the Spirit fills Elizabeth, she proclaims a blessing over her relative Mary. When the Spirit fills Zechariah, he he prophesies about the coming glory of Jesus. When the Spirit fills the disciples at Pentecost, they declare the gospel in multiple languages. Right here, when the Spirit fills Peter, he preaches to the rulers that Jesus is their only hope of salvation. When the Spirit fills the disciples again in the book of Acts, they speak the word of God boldly in the face of persecution. We'll get there later. When the Spirit fills Paul, he immediately begins to preach in the synagogues. There can be so many divisions among God-fearing and Bible-believing churches over the Holy Spirit. Uh, Many of us have probably experienced those in past churches, growing up, whatever it looks like. There's, there's arguments about how the Holy Spirit manifests itself in the life of believers, when people receive the Holy Spirit, what all of that even looks like. But one cannot argue where we plainly see in Scripture time and time again that God fills his people with the Holy Spirit for his purposes and for his glory. Amen? God fills his people with the Holy Spirit for his purposes and for his glory. Will you say that with me? God fills his people with the Holy Spirit for his purposes and for his glory. Say it again. God fills his people with the Holy Spirit for his purposes and for his glory. As you continue to ask God, God, show me what a life filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. Hang on to this nugget of truth. This isn't about us. There's a mystery to it. The timing we don't understand. But God gets the glory. God gets the fame. We're going to keep moving. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Let's stop there for a second. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Now, I, I've been reading over this passage for a couple of weeks now. You, you might get there if you continue dwelling on this like I did. But for me, this challenges the main excuses that I find myself using the most often. And we're, we're really good with excuses. Like we, we can admit, like as Christians, we're just, we're good, we're good at excuses. I'm not even going to call it deceit. We're just, we're good with excuses. We, we are. I'm really good with excuses. What, why did, why, Caleb, man, do you, did you pray? Did you pray for that? Oh man, what, what'd you think about? Uh, I'm not really, you know, I'm just not like, I haven't really been taught much on prayer. I haven't studied it in depth. I haven't taken any classes, you know? Oh, Hey, I took one of the spiritual gifts tests. Prayer isn't one of my spiritual gifts, you know, like we do that, right? Like that's for somebody, but I'm not a prayer warrior. You know, that's, that's just not me. Or what, what about excuses about sharing the gospel or rather not sharing the gospel? We got to admit we're pretty good with excuses. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm not a teacher. I I am no preacher. You know, I, I'm not a good communicator. I've just never really been good with words. I haven't taken enough classes and you know, Hey, that next thing that the church is offering, I I can't remember what it's, yeah, I I need to take that first. I just, I I need more. I'm I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. Or what about this one? 
oh man, I just, you know, um, I can't, I can't share the gospel. People who knew me years ago, mm, they, they would not want to hear me speaking about God's love and kindness. They'd think hypocrite. Oh my gosh, I'd be late. I, yeah, I believe that, that God saved me, but I don't think that God wants to use me to save others. That, I, uh-uh, just uh, my reputation is kind of tainted. Thinking about Peter, do you remember, do you remember when he denied Jesus three times? You remember that? When Peter denied Jesus three times? Here's some irony for you. When Peter first denied any affiliation with Jesus, he was standing in the courtyard of the high priest, Caiaphas, who was inside along with all these other rulers, elders, and teachers of the law with the entire Jewish council known as the Sanhedrin. And they were looking for evidence so that they could falsely accuse Jesus and find a way to put him to death. That's, that's where Peter was when he first denied Jesus. He was outside of that courtyard. And right here, we now see Peter standing before the very same council, including Caiaphas. And with boldness, he's saying, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we, we must be saved. An unschooled, ordinary guy. We don't have any excuses. Listen, if we believe that we received the Holy Spirit at the time of our salvation, which is exactly what I believe, and if we believe that the Holy Spirit is continually filling us for mission and purpose, then each and every one of us that believes that, we possess the the, the most incredible gift that anyone could ever attain. Those who were so astonished at Peter and John's boldness, characterized by, by their actions and their authority that we're reading about this morning, they, they couldn't believe that these guys hadn't been to, to schools for rabbis or that they didn't hold official positions within the, the highly recognized religious organizations. They, they were shocked. What I hear time and time again from incredible followers of Jesus is that, man, that they want to live sent, but they're, just, they're still searching for all the right training and tools and resources that churches offer. It, don't hear what I'm not saying. There's absolutely nothing wrong with, with continued growth and learning and us developing ourselves to be more articulate and, and, and memorize scripture and all of that. I, I am so far from where I want to be with Bible knowledge and cultural knowledge and scripture memorization and the ability to pray. Pastor Mike, it, it, you know, is constantly studying Greek and getting into Hebrew and stretching himself. I don't think there's a person here that would say that they don't agree with the fact that we should always be learning and growing more. But with the Holy Spirit, we have no excuses. No excuses not to live sent. For, for those of you that might be visiting or maybe you're here for the first time, we, we deeply value this idea of living as ones who are sent. We believe that as followers of Jesus, we've received a very clear command. We, we've been commissioned to be ambassadors for Christ. And so we define living sin as showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. And what I believe that we can apply from this story right here, this section in scripture, is that when, when we have the Holy Spirit, we have no excuses not to share the gospel, the complete gospel. How Jesus transformed my life from his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and even his ascension. The, the gospel is not, hey man, be blessed, have an awesome day. Hey, hey, thank you so much. God bless you, brother. That's not the gospel. We have got to take steps of faith to communicate the gospel and stop making the excuses. 
It, it, it can just be as simple and basic as the emails that I get from WeWorld saying, here's how to start conversations with your four-year-old. We can communicate the gospel, and we are called as the church to do that. And I believe that we see in this story the first step to being able to do that, and we're going to get there in just a moment. But let's finish reading verse 13 because I, I stopped halfway. Verse 13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's, that's good stuff right there. They, took, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. With the Holy Spirit, our relationship is evident. Mike, Mike talked about the evidence of our relationship through the fruits we've been talking about. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These men had been with Jesus. How is that recognizable? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were, they were lit up and they didn't even know it. Maybe they did. There had to have been some adrenaline rushing through Peter as he's boldly standing before the Jewish council sharing these words. When you give your life to Christ and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to find that the Holy Spirit prompts you to speak and to act and to go and to pray and to give. And you're not going to find that you have to choose boldness in those situations. I believe, once again, that that's where the Holy Spirit comes into play. And that's exactly what we're seeing this morning. Remember, God fills his people with the Holy Spirit for his purposes and for his glory. Peter wasn't a super intelligent guy. He, he, he wasn't just this sharp dude that was full of knowledge and education and had all this experience to, to back the confidence and, and the boldness that we're seeing right here in this story to, to share the gospel. But you know what Peter had? He'd been with Jesus. Peter had been with Jesus. He had a relationship with Jesus. He had been filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what is required for you to show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people? Just, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Is that evident? That's, that's really the only requirement to show and share Jesus in all those conversations. You know what's required for you if you want to go on a global venture with Grace Point Church? You know what's required from you if you want to lead a communitas group? Oh, my goodness. You know what's required if you're going to stand before this church when Mike looks at you and says, hey, all of you that are saying you want to become covenant members, you're, you're saying in front of everyone here that, that you have accepted Christ and you're a follower of him and that you know Jesus and, and heads nod. That, that's, that's like the base requirement. When Wade Bryant and I were leading student ministry years ago, the number one thing that we agreed that we wanted all students to have an opportunity to do was to know Jesus. And we said, man, we want students to know and to be and to share. And that lives on today as we have great leaders leading the student ministry. We, we, we want individuals that come into this place. We want individuals that we encounter in our community to have an opportunity to be exposed to the truth of salvation and to know Jesus. Peter and John were unschooled, ordinary men, but they had spent time with Jesus learning and seeing the depth of his love, understanding how foolish they are in light of him, experiencing his power and growing more and more dependent the more time they spent with him, which seems completely backwards to me because as, as a father of two growing boys, the more time I spend with them, I want them to become more independent. But with Jesus, the living word, 
the more time we spend with Jesus, you know this if you're spending time with him, the more dependent on him you are. You can't start your day without him, your week without him. You can't lead a, a, a job. You can't lead a team. You can't lead your marriage. You can't lead your children. You can't lead your life without being filled with the Holy Spirit and having a relationship with Jesus. Before we go any further this morning, I just I want you to ask yourself this question. Man, do I know Jesus? Do I know Jesus? Do I know Jesus to the point that other people have taken notice that there's something entirely different about me? Because the Holy Spirit does not fill us so that we can blend in. Verse 14. You guys are going to have to listen faster. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with him, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called the men again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all of the people were praising God for what had happened. The man that was healed was over 40 years old. What if we, being obedient to the spirit that is prompting us to share with people who don't know Jesus, what if we couldn't help it? What, what if we just continually, we constantly just spoke about the work that God has done in our lives and the work that God is doing in our lives? That verse 20 is so great. Peter and John just, they, they say, hey, we, we can't help it. Other translations, I think, say we, we cannot stop telling about everything that we've seen and heard. And then I read another one that said, we, we can't keep quiet about it. These guys couldn't, they couldn't shut up about it. It was just like, hey, we can't control it. It's just coming out, you know? unschooled, ordinary men who couldn't stop talking about what they had seen and heard. Have you been with Jesus to the point that you know him? What have you seen? What have you heard? What have you experienced? I heard a friend say the other day, um, you, you can't unsee that. That stuck with me. And, and I began thinking about the broken state that we have all found ourselves in at one point in our lives. Or maybe you're there now. The broken state where when you've been trying to fill that brokenness, that void with all the other stuff that the world has to offer, whether it be wealth or identity through our jobs or our athleticism or our personality or our character or how good we are or whether it's substances or relationships or, or whatever it is, all that stuff we try to fill that brokenness with, when we come to recognition that we can't fill it and that we need Jesus to bridge this gap, you cannot unsee that. You can't unexperience that. With the Holy Spirit, we can't help it. With the Holy Spirit, we can't help but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. In the verses that follow this, Peter and John, they go back to their own people. And, and j just like we're doing here this morning, as we're reading through this, they report to the believers everything that had just happened. We just read it this morning. Crippled man is healed. Peter speaks boldly, shares the gospel. They don't know what to do with him. The believers are hearing Peter and John report out on this. 
And so here's what happens. They raise their voices together in prayer. The believers together in verse 29 and verse 30, here's what they say in their prayer. It's, it's a long prayer, but I'm going to draw out 29 to 30. Okay, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miracle signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, with the Holy Spirit, we want more. I believe the Holy Spirit gives us a hunger and a desire that is never satisfied so that we just can't help but verbally speak and share about the miracle and the resurrection of Jesus. We see these believers that are praying this beautiful prayer and they're asking God to give them even greater boldness and to speak and and to ask God to perform miracles and signs and wonders through the powerful name of Jesus. Not, not so that, God, we, we, can, we can heal people. This isn't like a story of Simon the sorcerer here who wants to wield some certain power. This is a story about believers who go, God, in order to make your name great, enable us to speak with boldness. And God, perform miracles as we pray for healing, as we pray for, for, for you. And God, in the name of Jesus, do these things. And the believers are gathering together after everything that has happened. And even the threats of this Jewish council, they're legitimate, which is why they say, God, consider the threats. And then they ask for more. That, that's a church gathering right there. That's some powerful stuff. That's a group of believers coming together because they just can't get enough. They want more and more of the Holy Spirit. If you find yourself asking God, continue to show me what this Holy Spirit stuff looks like. Uh, God, I just, I'm not sure I understand. And and you find yourself wondering, and you actually find yourself back in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 with this story of Peter and John. Consider falling on your knees and praying for God to enable you to speak his word with great boldness. Don't don't pray, God, uh, do, do something at Grace Point. God, just broadly, do something in our community. No, just say, God... Enable me to speak your word with boldness. God, give, give me an ability to, to, to pray bold prayers and over people in the name of Jesus. God, answer those prayers. Perform miraculous signs. That's crazy. I said earlier, man, we, we've got to stop making excuses. We've got to start taking steps of faith to communicate the gospel. I believe that one of the first steps is prayer. We've got to pray. We've got to ask for it. We've got to be specific. Are we asking God to enable us? Are we asking God for a movement? With the Holy Spirit, we want more. And so let's, let's recap this thing. A crippled man is healed. Peter preaches an incredible message. Peter and John are are then thrown in jail overnight and they're questioned. The Holy Spirit fills Peter who gives a powerful response and he shares the gospel. Suddenly these people take note that these men know Jesus. And then they're told, don't speak or teach in the name of Jesus ever again. Peter and John say, we can't help it. They return to gather with the other believers and they pray together asking for the Spirit to, to enable them to speak with boldness and to perform miracles. And guess what happens after they get specific in their prayers? 
Here comes the Holy Spirit again. Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Their their prayers were answered. And despite the threats and the warnings from the council, they continued to speak the gospel with boldness. As I close in prayer this morning, I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you to pray in your hearts. And I want you to think of just a crazy way, or rather a bold way, to, to pray for something that's going to give God the most glory. Consider praying for something that would lead to a movement, an awakening in your, in your schools, where you work, in your neighborhood where you live, what, what, whatever team you're a part of within the job that you have. Pray for God to answer our prayers and that we would have opportunity to pray for others in the name of Jesus. And don't take lightly the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, man, we, we acknowledge that there, there is a mystery to the Holy Spirit that we're never going to understand. But God, we, we see in Scripture, we see in the living Word, all the examples that we have when we say, man, just show me what that looks like. We see that with the Holy Spirit, we can boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. Just as ordinary people. God, we see with the Holy Spirit, we have no excuses. God, that our relationship with you is evident, it's made known. God, we see with the Holy Spirit that we can't help it. We just talk everywhere we go about what you've done in our lives. And God, we see with the Holy Spirit, we want more. So God, this morning, man, just like we see in the end of this story, would you fill this place? God, I don't even know what that looks like for the place they're meeting to be shaken. But God, answer our prayers and and we, we boldly pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to move. God, enable us, your servants, when we leave this place and we say live sin, for us to go out and share verbally the name of Jesus, what we have seen and heard, the way that we know you and the way that others can know you. God, to you be the glory. It's in your son's powerful and holy name that we pray. Amen.